Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Gabby. And I'm Rob. And this is Dark Origins Podcast, a podcast where I tell Rob about the inspirations behind all mediums of art. So movies, TV shows, books, music, etc. And sometimes we talk about times that art has influenced life. So today we're going to be talking about a story and I wanted to focus on a true piece of art that was inspired by it. It's a memoir written by one of the victim's daughters. Um... And I will tell you the name of it at the end. So it's nonfiction. Yes. That a victim's daughter wrote. Yes. So it's a memoir. So, okay, cool. So we're just going to, I'm just going to start. All right. Yeah. John Powell was a 44-year-old motorcycle riding father and husband. In 1987, he suffered catastrophic injuries from a motorcycle crash that left him comatose for a period of time. After receiving surgery, John was transferred from University of Cincinnati Hospital to Drake Hospital to recover. His recovery was not going to be easy, but he was able to pull through. Staff at Drake referred to him as the miracle man because he was recovering so much better than doctors initially expected. Okay. He still needed a breathing tube, though, so he wasn't able to speak. He was able to shake his head and okay. communicate that way. Um, and his family set up a notepad near his bed that they used to communicate with him and leave messages, and he could write back. Okay, so he could he could hear, he could see, he could write. He just couldn't speak. Oof. Yeah. On January 30th, 1987, John developed a respiratory tract infection and pulmonary embolism. He was sent to University of Cincinnati Medical Center for emergent care before being transferred back to Drake, but he ended up in the emergency room again pretty soon after. He was treated for sepsis and sent back to Drake once again. At this point, his medical team and family worked together and determined it would be best to put a DNR on him. Oof. Yeah, which for everyone listening, I'm sure you all know, but a DNR means do not resuscitate. So if he coded, they would not resuscitate him. On March 7th, 1987, one of the orderlies flew around the corner to inform one of the nurses that John was dying. The nurse rushed into John's room, and it appeared that the orderly was correct. Since there was a DNR on John, the nurse 
couldn't try to resuscitate him. His family was devastated. They had just seen him the day before and he seemed to be okay. Since Ohio requires autopsies for accidents, John's body was sent to the coroner, Dr. Lee D. Lehman. Dr. Lee began the autopsy the next day. Once Dr. Lee opened John's stomach, it hit him. A bitter almond smell filled his nose and he realized that John may not have died from his accident. Rather, his death may have been caused from exposure to cyanide. What? So cyanide has a bitter almond smell, but interestingly, not everybody can smell it. So it seems that only certain people have the ability to smell cyanide. Hmm. Only a percentage of the population has the genes genes necessary. So kind of like cilantro tasting like soap? Yeah. Okay, interesting. So if you think about it, if this doctor did not have those the ability right. to smell cyanide, then this may have never been caught. But let's continue. Hmm. So Dr. Lee decided to run some tests to confirm his suspicion. When they came back positive, Dr. Lee sent his report to the Cincinnati Police Department. The police had to rule out the possibility that John was accidentally exposed to cyanide via manufacturer error, so they tested all of the food that John had eaten the few days before he passed manufacturer error in food yeah with cyanide in a hospital they just have to be sure that's that would probably be the most rare way to die of cyanide poisoning i agree i agree but that's what they did they obviously all came back negative oh was shocking with accidental causes ruled out they moved on to investigating the case as a homicide detectives started out by looking at john's wife John had a life insurance policy that went to her, so they thought that Mm -hmm. might have been her motive. They interviewed her and gave her a polygraph test. Poor woman. I know. She passed the polygraph, so investigators ruled her out. It wasn't just the polygraph, though. She was very cooperative, and it just didn't seem like it was her. Yeah, it's not her, right? I mean... They then moved on to employees at the hospital. Police interviewed 35 employees and set up appointments for them to complete a polygraph. One of them, Donald Harvey, called in sick the day he was supposed to take his, so they rescheduled. On the day of his rescheduled test, Donald showed up, but he flat out refused to take it. Hmm. Obviously suspicious, police asked if Donald would be willing to talk with them instead. He agreed, and it wasn't too long into the interview before Donald just confessed. What? Yep. He told officers that he had killed John to relieve him of his pain and suffering, so he was claiming to be an angel of death. Mm -hmm. Investigators asked if he had killed any other patients, to which Donald responded by saying he didn't remember because he felt like he was two different people and he doesn't know what the other person does. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, who doesn't do that? The investigators felt like John was trying to create an insanity defense for himself, so they stopped the interview before he could continue fabricating his story. He was arrested and charged with one count of murder. Okay, so this guy got a hold of some cyanide somehow, and he gave it to this dude. Sounds like he probably did it to other people, too, because I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, keep going. Seems like it might be possible. So let me tell you a bit about Donald Harvey. All right. Donald was born in Ohio in 1952, but his parents relocated to Boonville, Kentucky, not too long after his birth. Boonville is a small town in the eastern part of the Appalachian Mountains. His family was very poor and lived without running water or heat. Mm. 
He had a pretty traumatic childhood. He saw his parents fight regularly and he had a hard time making friends. It's also suspected that he suffered brain injuries as a child, first when he was six months old and fell out of his sleeping father's arms, and second when he was five years old and fell off of a truck. So that did did that information come? Let me ask you, how did that information come to light? Do you know? Um, no, I'm not sure where, like how that came to light, but it's something that we now know about him. Okay. Because obviously, you know, one of the things that they say is somewhat common in serial, serial killers killer. is that they had some type of head injury when they were younger. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, that does not mean that people with brain injuries are more likely to be violent or more likely to commit crime. It's just... Serial killers are more likely to have had brain injuries, but brain injuries are not more likely to make you a serial killer. Yes. Yes. I just, I, I've seen people say like, I kind of feel like sometimes when people talk about this, they make it seem like everyone with a head injury, Stupid you know, people. is going to be violent when they get older. And that's obviously not the case. We'd have a lot more people killing people if that was the case. Exactly. I mean, there's a lot of people killing people out there, but. There'd be a lot, lot more. Yeah. He said that he was sexually abused by a relative and a neighbor as a child, which continued for over 10 years. Although Donald was disliked by his peers, teachers and adults in his life seemed to look at him in a more positive light. He was apparently a teacher's pet and a good student, and his elementary school principal said this about him. Donnie was a very... Donnie was a berry. Donnie was a berry. <laughs> he was an elderberry as he got older. <laughs> Donnie was a very special child to me. He was always clean and well-dressed with his hair trimmed. He was a happy child, very sociable and well-liked by the other children. He was a handsome boy with big brown eyes and dark curly hair. He always had a smile for me. There was never any indication of any abnormality. So that's what's strange is she says that he was well-liked by other children, but other reports say that he was not. So I don't... Hmm. I'm not sure why she felt that way, but that's how she felt. Donald ended up dropping out of high school during his freshman year. Some sources say he dropped out because he was bored, while others say he dropped out because he was unable to pay a fine to the school. So he, like, did something that caused, like, some sort of damage. I think it was an accident. It wasn't, like, anything on purpose. I think it might have been a wood shop or something. And so he had to pay, like, a $25 fine or something, and... Because he was so poor, he wasn't able to, and he ended up dropping out because of that. But then, like I said, other reports say it's just because he was bored and it just wasn't keeping his attention. Yeah, back then school was different, too. Like, if you owed the school money, they might kick you out. Back yeah, then. yeah, yeah. They might have. Which is really messed up. You should yeah, not it's, be it's requiring money from children to participate in school because not... Every child comes from a family that can afford that. So he ended up relocating to Cincinnati, Ohio to work at a factory. Two years later, he tore a ligament after falling off of a platform and this forced him to take time off work. He was feeling unsure of how he was going to continue to support himself. Not long after, his mother called him and asked him to come back to visit his sick grandfather. I think her call was the catalyst behind Donald's decision to move back home to Kentucky. His grandfather was receiving care at Marymount Hospital, and Donald would visit him every day. He quickly grew comfortable with many of the employees, and once he shared that he had just lost his job due to his injury, one of the employees suggested he apply to work as an orderly at the hospital. 
he decided to go for it and he was hired. The first few weeks went by smoothly, but things quickly spiraled out of control. And remember, he's still very young at this point. Mm -hmm. During an evening shift, Donald walked into the room of an 88-year-old man named Logan. Logan was a stroke patient and he had just had an accident. So Donald was tasked with cleaning him up. And by accident, I mean like... uh, They pooped his pants. Yes. As Donald got near him to begin cleaning him up, Logan reached out with feces in his hand and grabbed him. And I think it was probably an accident. He probably didn't realize. You know what I mean? I don't think he was doing that on purpose. Yeah, I mean, it could be, but I really doubt it. This enraged Donald, so he grabbed a pillow and started to smother Logan. As he held the pillow to his face, he also placed his stethoscope on Logan's chest to hear his heartbeat slow. After killing him, Donald cleaned him and then told a nurse that he had passed. Nobody suspected a thing. The same day, Donald accidentally killed another man by giving him the wrong catheter, ultimately causing him to vomit blood before dying. What? So this is like his first murder and he's smothering this man and he thinks to put his stethoscope to his chest to listen to his heart beat slow. And he's young. Yes. It's just crazy how quickly it escalated. How old is he? Do you know exactly? I don't know exactly, but I think he's like 18. After his first murder, Donald realized how much he enjoyed it. His mind filled with all of the possibilities as he came up with more creative ways to kill his patients. Sorry, that's Arthur in the background barking. (laughs) About a month later, Donald killed a woman named Elizabeth by disconnecting her oxygen tank. Elizabeth had late stage cancer and was growing sicker and weaker. Without being hooked up to oxygen, Elizabeth was unable to get enough on her own. Her body was able to withstand four hours at the low level of oxygen before she passed away. Still, nobody suspected him. On July 10th, 1970, Donald would kill again. This time, he would play God with 43-year-old Eugene McQueen. Eugene had been admitted for lung congestion, and he also had cerebral palsy. Cerebral palsy is caused by abnormal brain development. It affects muscle tone and the ability to control movement. Because of this, Eugene was supposed to always be kept on his back to avoid obstructing his breathing. Since many patients with cerebral palsy may need help to readjust themselves, putting a patient on their stomach with their face in a pillow puts them at risk of not being able to move out of that position and then suffocating. Mm. Especially with cerebral palsy patients who are suffering from congestion or other breathing problems, this can quickly turn fatal. I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense because they need assistance, you know. Yeah, yeah, but I I didn't know that about cerebral palsy. I I didn't know that that was a thing. So cerebral palsy can, you know, range in severity. So some people may have more ability to control their muscles than others. But yeah, Donald knew this. After turning Eugene onto his stomach, he left and waited until Eugene's nurse found him dead. Eugene drowned from the fluid building up in his lungs. Donald claimed that he had forgotten and the nurses believed him. They didn't even write him up for accidentally killing Eugene. So obviously, like, he he has to admit, yes, I put him on his stomach because they see him on his stomach. Yeah. So he just says, oh, it was an accident. I forgot. And they're just like, okay. And they don't make any note of it or anything. Yeah. Today at work, I killed a guy. Right. Like, it's baffling. Like he forgot to bring somebody extra napkins. Yes. That's like the seriousness with which I feel like they're taking it. 
I also think they were probably like short staffed and stuff. So I, I understand oh, that. Yeah, I mean. But still, you can't have someone who's like killing patients that, accidentally yeah. or not. Okay, well, just don't let that happen again. All right, bud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just two days later, Donald gave 82-year-old Harvey Williams a faulty oxygen tank, which led to him dying from cardiac arrest. This was apparently another accident, but it's not clear how true that is. Donald continued to think of ways he could kill his patients, which seems to prove that he was not an angel of death, rather an angry little man who didn't know how to navigate his emotions and who felt powerful when he got to prey on his physically weakened victims. So he's just going to work, like, trying to find ways to kill people. Yes, Yes. Sometimes it seems like he is doing it just because he wants to. Other times it seems like he gets mad and, you know, maybe he didn't walk into that patient's room with the intent to kill them, but they make him mad for some reason. And so he kills them. About two weeks after he killed Harvey, Donald killed 81-year-old Ben Gilbert. His hatred for Ben apparently started when he says he accidentally tripped over Ben's drainage tube, ripping his catheter out of him. Donald says that Ben started acting aggressively towards him after that, ultimately hitting him in the head with his bedpan one day. But that seems really unlikely, and I honestly don't believe it, and neither do most people. Okay. Some sources speculate that Ben didn't hit him out of nowhere, rather he hit him out of self-defense when he noticed that Donald was trying to kill him. That makes sense. Yeah. That much seems, more likely. Yes. Yeah. That seems much more believable to me. Mm-hmm. Donald would be able to successfully kill Ben by coming into his room while he was asleep and changing out his catheter with one that was too big. Then he took a straightened coat hanger and stuck it through the catheter, obviously up into Ben's urethra, until he punctured Ben's bladder and bowel. Oh my god. Yeah. He put the correct size catheter back in to keep anyone from suspecting him. Ben went into instant shock and fell into a coma. He developed peritonitis from an infection stemming from the puncture wounds and died four days later. From August till the end of the year, Donald would kill four more victims. Maud Nichols died from cardiac arrest after Donald hooked her up to a faulty oxygen tank. William Bowling died from a heart attack after Donald cut off his oxygen supply. Viola Reed Wyron died after Donald hooked her up to a faulty oxygen tank after failing to kill her the first time he tried. He initially tried to smother her with a pillow and a plastic bag. But he was interrupted, so he opted to go the safer route the second time. Wait a minute. How was he interrupted and not something didn't happen? He he would like he gets interrupted a few different times trying to kill people, and it sounds like he heard a noise, so he stopped. Okay. So by the time they walked in, they he wasn't doing anything suspicious. And this person's not conscious when he's doing it. So they can't be like, This dude's trying to kill me. Yes. A lot of the time they either aren't conscious, don't have the ability to speak. Like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they were in a state where they couldn't tell anyone. So, okay. Right, okay, so they're unconscious. He's trying to take advantage of them to end their life. And it's like a an opportunity. And if, if it doesn't work out, there's no risk of getting caught. Yes, exactly. Okay. All right, so we will continue on. Margaret Harrison was killed after Donald overdosed her on Demerol, codeine, and morphine. Donald had also begun an affair with a married father and mortician named Vernon Midden. It wasn't just lust that initially attracted Donald to Vernon. It was also the medical knowledge he could offer to Donald. 
He knew what happened to the human body after different kinds of deaths, especially suffocation. This helped Donald understand how he could kill patients without alerting medical examiners. Donald would go to work with Vernon, so he got a close-up lesson in how medical examiners examined victims of suspected homicide. And that wasn't the only thing that Vernon taught Donald. Vernon had been into the occult for a long time, and he taught Donald what he knew. Really? Yes. Like, what what type of occult are we talking about? It's not clear. Oh. But he wouldn't let Donald participate in occult ceremonies because he wasn't a member of the cult that that Vernon was a part of. So we don't know if it was, like, OTO or if it was any of the other branches of... No. No. It... No. (laughs) We don't know what... What at least I couldn't find what cult he was a part of and what type of occult he was into, but that's all that we know is that he was into the occult and that he was a part of a cult. Okay, that's unfortunate. I was hoping we were going to go down that road. Well, we we will a little bit. Oh, with, good. Cool. You know the occult stuff, but it's, it's still not clear what type. Okay, we don't know exactly, but we know some stuff. Yeah. Although their relationship wouldn't last, Donald would use the knowledge he acquired from Vernon to fulfill the rest of his murderous fantasies. It did not take long into the new year for Donald to start killing again by hooking 80-year-old Sam Carroll up to a faulty oxygen tank on January 6th. Less than 10 days later, he put the knowledge he gained from Vernon to use when he smothered Maggie Rollins to death with a plastic bag covering her face and a pillow on top. This allowed him to suffocate her without her inhaling any fibers that could be used as evidence, which he got that from Vernon. Right, because the plastic bag blocks the fibers from going into the lungs that the medical examiner could find. Yep, exactly. His next victim was 62-year-old Silas Butner. Apparently, Donald felt that there was a decline in the standard of care for Silas because he was black. While I fully believe that was true because it's still something that happens in America today, I don't understand why his solution to it was to kill Silas. It seems like an excuse for his murder. He tried to suffocate him with a plastic bag and pillow the same way he had suffocated Maggie, but he wasn't able to kill him that way. So he gave up and hooked Silas up to a faulty oxygen tank instead and successfully killed him that way. Three days later, Donald killed John V. Combs with a faulty oxygen tank as well. Some sources say that this is the patient that he had tried to unsuccessfully smother with a plastic bag and pillow before hooking him up to a faulty oxygen tank, not Silas, or maybe in addition to Silas, but it's not clear. Okay. So either way... He ended up suffocating. Yeah, they're both dead, right? And he killed them both. Yeah, he ended up, either way, he ended up killing them both with a faulty action tank. so many people. Yes, he did. A little over a month and a half later, Donald killed Milton Bryant Sasser by overdosing him on morphine. So, so when these people die of an overdose of morphine, right, or any other, like the, the other people that or person that have died from these overdoses, is he not questioned? No, they don't realize that they are dying from overdoses because they're not doing autopsies on them. A lot of these people, you know, are really sick. So when they die, they're not that surprised. But, you know, some of them, I mean, probably many of them would have survived and 
lived despite being sick if he didn't kill them. Like Maybe they would have been able them, to recover. A lot of them. Yeah. And so were these confessions later? Yes. Everything that I'm telling you right now is from his confession. Okay. So there may even be more. Yeah. And he says that like he can't, he feels like he can't remember some, like some of the names and whatnot. Well, yeah. So, I mean, if you, what are, what number are we at? Like five million? So, I mean, if you kill that many people, I, I'm pretty sure like, I mean, I've, I've never done it, but you know, you, I feel like you would forget. You'd forget details. You would, you know, it'd be so commonplace. And then if he's like, oh, yeah, and then two days later, 15 years ago, right? Like, how do you remember details like that so accurately? Yeah, absolutely. And at some point, he does start to, like, diary his victims, and he keeps track of them. But the ones before that, he isn't able to, he doesn't feel like he can remember all of them when he's giving his confession. Sick fuck. Outside of the hospital, Donald's life was getting weirder and harder to manage. You think? Him and Vernon broke up, leading Donald to cope with the bottle. He was drinking to excess while fantasizing about embalming Vernon alive and making other strange decisions like trying to burn a bathroom down in his apartment complex. A bathroom? Yes. (laughs) Yeah, I'm either going to embalm a guy or burn a bathroom down. Can't decide. I mean, he did decide. He burned the bathroom down. Oh, good choice, I guess. Police charged him with arson and ordered him to pay a fine of $50. Not too long after, Donald was suspected of burglary when someone saw him walking around wearing his neighbor's clothes. <laughs> I know, it's so fucking weird. What the fuck? Those guys got a criminal record now. When police brought him in, he was clearly very intoxicated. As officers interrogated him, Donald began to confess to his crimes. Not the crime he was being accused of, burglary but to his more serious crimes nobody was asking about them as nobody even realized the patients had been murdered apparently the alcohol had somehow compelled him to get honest about them that alcohol will do that to you yeah yeah you start telling people shit never tell anybody yeah that's true that's true Police were incredulous since Donald was so drunk and they dismissed his claims as the drunk ramblings of a crazy alcoholic. So they charged him with burglary and called it a day. <laughs> That's our justice system. Yep. Oh, God. But I mean, I guess like, you know, you got a guy that's, you know, wearing the neighbor's suit that just was in there for trying to burn down a ceramic building or room in a building. This guy's completely whacked you know you might not think that he's telling the truth maybe not but at least you know try to investigate a little bit like i'm just trying to give a break to the individual that's like oh god this again you know and i know but i mean i would i would try to investigate that i would too i'm just so harsh on on police all the time and i i hold them to a high standard they should be held to a high standard. I agree. I agree. They signed up for it, right? Yeah, exactly. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. 
Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ultimately, his charges would be reduced to petty theft in exchange for a plea deal, and his punishment was once again a fine. After this, Donald must have felt like he needed to get out of town. This guy can't get away from fines. I know. 25 bucks, 50 bucks, will they get him or 100 for the for this one? <laughs> Doubles every time. Possibly afraid that authorities will look into the murders or just feeling like they might be keeping an eye on him, he decided to enlist in the Air Force. He lied on his application, omitting parts or all of his criminal background. After being accepted, he was stationed in California where he worked as an administration clerk. So he was lucky he didn't get sent off to Vietnam. Yeah, too bad. Yeah. His fresh start didn't last for long. He attempted suicide twice. After his second attempt, in which he tried to overdose on NyQuil, his superiors questioned him. He told them that he had lied about his criminal background, and they discharged him. <laughs> Some sources also said that he, they had found out about the confessions that he had given to the police, and that was part of the reason they discharged him, but others just mentioned that he told them about him lying about his criminal background. So It'd be weird to... At that time, to get information about a confession that was never investigated like that. I agree, but I don't know. Maybe they put it in like the The notes notes. or something and the Air Force acquired that. You know, I'm not sure. Hashtag completely wackadoodle, (laughs) you know. Yeah, it's a wackadoodle time. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, (laughs) No, I don't know, but I want to. (laughs) Tell me later. I will. Luckily for Donald, he received an honorable medical discharge. Forced to move back in with his parents, 19-year-old Donald was still struggling to manage his drug use. Wait, wait, wait. He's only 19? Yes. It's been like a year? Two years? Yes. Holy shit. I know. Isn't that insane? Um. Yeah, I thought we had covered like six or seven years. No. Like this dude's dating an occultist. He's killed at least half a dozen more people. He's been to Vietnam, or he's been in the Air Force. Force. He's, holy shit. Yeah. Been to jail twice. Yeah. No. It's only been a couple years. As you said, his life outside of the hospital is getting a bit complicated. Yeah. Weirder and harder to manage. 
Forced to move back in with his parents, 19-year-old Donald was still struggling to manage his drug use. His parents forced him to undergo three months of psychiatric treatment through the VA after they caught him using drugs, and after completing treatment, he kind of floated through life for the next two years until he worked up the courage to apply for another hospital job. Obviously, that's what he wanted to do. Yeah, I wonder why he went back there. But he, I think, was afraid to apply because he was like... I'm going to kill people if I go back to the hospital. No, no, he didn't care about that. I think he was afraid that the hospital that he had previously worked at may have investigated and maybe they you know, found some things out. So if he applied to another hospital, putting that hospital as a reference on there, would be then this problem. would all come to light or he just wouldn't get hired or whatever. Um, okay. So, yeah, took him a little bit to finally be brave enough, quote unquote, brave enough to apply. He applied for a nursing assistant position at the VA in Cincinnati, Ohio, and they hired him. Donald began to seek out other like-minded individuals. He began hanging out with a group of neo-Nazis. He helped them pass out propaganda and vandalize buildings with hateful rhetoric. He also enrolled in a witchcraft course with the hopes of being initiated into a coven. He was successfully initiated. Donald recalls that the night of his initiation... They all ate dinner before participating in a ritual in front of an altar. Donald said that he met the spirit of a World War II doctor named Duncan. After the initiation was over, Donald claimed to speak with Duncan on a regular basis. He began a routine of conducting rituals at his home where he would contact Duncan and ask which of his patients he should kill. He would bring trophies from his victims back to Duncan as offerings. I brought you this ear. (laughs) At this point, he began keeping a detailed diary of his victims. He also began stealing as much cyanide and arsenic from the hospital as possible, at one point amassing a whole 30 pounds of cyanide. That seems crazy to me. That is what a source said, but that seems kind of wild to me. They didn't used to track medicine like they do now at all. I know, but 30 pounds of cyanide? In a hospital, they probably didn't even notice. I mean, they used to have, they never tracked medicine, period. They would just be like, oh, it's out of stock, reorder. It's not just that. It's just like the storing it, storing 30 pounds of cyanide in your house. That's crazy. But yeah, yeah. because of this, he was easily able to mix up a vial before work so that he could mix it into patient's food or pour it directly into their gastric tube or use it however he was going to use it Just that in day. case. During this period, Donald's love life was blossoming as well. He started dating a man named Carl Howeller, who had a record of indecent exposure. He also had a habit of cheating. Apparently, he spent his Mondays having sex with different men in a local park. This is the point where Donald starts to injure and kill people he was close to, not just people at the hospital. Donald figured that Carl would stop cheating if he wasn't able to leave the house. So he stole arsenic from the lab at the VA and started experimenting on himself. He wanted to find the perfect dose, a dose that would make Carl sick enough to be confined to the house, but not sick enough that he might actually die. Apparently, Donald didn't mind making himself sick in the pursuit of this knowledge. Once he found the correct dose, he started to poison Carl's food on Sunday so that he would be too sick to leave and go to the park on Monday. Feeling emboldened by his successful attempts to poison his boyfriend, Donald began to target other people he held resentment towards in his real life outside of the hospital. He started with a friend of Carl's named Diane. 
Apparently, Donald felt that Diane was getting in the way of his relationship with Carl because she was jealous. He concocted a plan to poison her. During his shift, he snuck into the morgue to find hazardous biomedical waste. He decided on a sample of hepatitis B. Mm, Hepatitis B. Yeah, I know. Hepatitis B is a virus that infects the liver. Usually adults recover fully from the infection, but those that don't develop chronic hepatitis B. In the case of chronic hepatitis B, the risk of liver failure, liver cancer, or cirrhosis of the liver is increased. He invited Diane to dinner and mixed the hepatitis B serum into her salad dressing. Diane ended up getting sick, but thankfully she was able to get treatment and recover. I just, I do not understand. Well, how'd she eat it? Like, I, I don't imagine that that would taste good. I I don't understand. I don't know. I don't get it. It's weird. I don't think you have to be exposed to that much bodily fluid with hepatitis B to in get it, it. To get yeah. it. Yeah, that's probably true. But I don't know for sure. Donald went on to throw a party where he laced the beef stroganoff with arsenic. I'm not sure what the purpose was, but it seemed he just did it for fun. Just let's just dose everybody with some arsenic? Yeah. He also poisoned two of his neighbors. One of them, Helen Metzger, died after Donald poisoned her with arsenic. So he put the arsenic in pies and gave it to his neighbors. I think you have to have a lot of arsenic to die from arsenic poisoning. You do. Like, relatively, yes, you I learned do. that watching Arsenic and Old Lace. It, a lot of his victims, he dosed with arsenic over time, and then eventually they died. And then too. other times, I think he just put in a shit ton of arsenic. It's a heroic dose. Well, I mean, if you make a really good pie, because arsenic, you can't taste it, right? So if you made a, if you made a really good pie, the neighbor's going to eat the pie. Yeah, yeah. You know, especially because he seems like people like this guy. Yeah, yes. As an adult, like, he's pretty charming, charismatic. People, yes. That's terrifying. I know. After a fight with Carl's parents, so remember he's dating Carl at this yeah. point. And is Carl still getting sick on Mondays? Yes. Okay. After a fight with Carl's parents, Donald began to target them. He poisoned their food with arsenic, and eventually on May 1st, 1983, Carl's father, Henry, had a stroke and was admitted to Providence Hospital. Oh, boy. While he was there, Donald visited him. Donald put arsenic in Henry's pudding before he left one day, and Henry died that night. As if he hadn't inflicted enough pain onto Carl's parents, Donald continued to poison his mother off and on for a year. Fortunately, she didn't die. Carl couldn't stand to put up with Donald's controlling behavior and intense jealousy anymore, so he broke up with him and kicked him out of the apartment. Seething with anger, Donald would spend the next two years trying to kill Carl. He didn't succeed, but he did land Carl in the hospital at one point. Throughout 1983... Um, do you think Carl knew? No, Carl had no idea. There's no indication that Carl knew that he was doing any of this. So he had no idea that he would have dinner on Sunday and get sick on Monday every every week for a long period of time. And that for two years, this dude's trying to kill him. No. He never put it together. No, I mean, if you love someone, like, do you know? It, yeah, it'd be weird. Like, yeah, it would be really hard to reconcile or put two and two together. That the person that you're in love with is trying to kill you. And I imagine, you know, ingesting that much arsenic he probably started to feel sick just kind of all the time so yeah he probably just thought something was wrong with him you know yeah throughout 1983 to 1985 donald also killed howard vetter after he accidentally drank alcohol that had been poisoned 
Hiram Prophet after he overdosed him on heparin, James Peluso, an ex-boyfriend of Donald's, after he poisoned him with arsenic, and Edward Wilson after he poisoned him with arsenic. I know sometimes it just seems like I'm going through a lot of names of people who have been killed, but I want to make sure, because there's a, t- a lot, there's like, there's a lot of victims, and I want to make sure that we name every single one of them, because I think it's important that... Yeah, name them. Every victim gets recognition in every story, so... Yeah, I think that, you know, we, we tend to... As a society, I think, you know, we, and I've mentioned this before, we tend to focus on the killer. Yeah. As if there's some kind of like mythical hero or whatever, like anti hero, you know, and that's not cool. These people are maniacs. They're not cool. No, they're not. And they're fascinating, but they're not cool. Right. And victims deserve recognition. Yeah. And their families. Yeah, exactly. Because there's still tons of people who are affected by these deaths today. On July 18th, 1985, security guards at the hospital observed Donald acting suspiciously. So they decided to search through his bag. Hmm. Donald thinks is convinced that Carl called a tip-in. Really? And this is why they want to search through his bag. But again, there is no evidence that Carl knew anything. So... This is not because Carl called a tip-in. Okay. They found a thirty-eight caliber pistol, hypodermic needles, cocaine spoon, surgical scissors and gloves, medical text, and two occult books, and a book about a serial killer. Okay. That doesn't his, prove anything. <laughs> in his locker, they found microscope samples, including one cross-section of a human liver, which is possibly connected to his use of hepatitis b serum because hepatitis b does the liver hurts stuff. the liver yeah. so he may have been i don't know checking out yeah what's going on after hearing about this the higher-ups at the hospital gave donald the option to resign without reporting anything what? so again really not that big of a consequence look dude we know you're into the occult you carry a gun you shoot coke we also know you're into some weird stuff with the microscope if you want to walk away now you can Yeah, like, what the fuck? So, seven months later, Donald would... So, So he did resign. Yes, he did resign, yes. Smart play. So, seven months later, Donald was able to get a job as a nurse's aide at Drake Memorial Hospital, since none of his transgressions were reported. Right. In February of 1986, Donald was introduced to his new hunting ground. So, he began work there, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, he got there. This is his final, though, too, right? Yep. His first victim at Drake was 65-year-old Nathaniel J. Watson. He had recently had a stroke that left him paralyzed and unable to talk. He was able to move his eyes, but that was his only way of communication. Apparently, Donald heard a rumor that Nathaniel had been convicted of rape, which was likely untrue. This enraged Donald because he had been traumatized by sexual assaults when he was young, Nathaniel was in a room with five other people, but each patient had a privacy curtain. So Donald pulled the curtain around before smothering Daniel with a wet plastic trash bag. Donald pushed his stethoscope into Nathaniel's chest to listen to his heartbeat as he smothered him. Kind of like a throwback. Yep, to his very first murder. Obviously, Nathaniel could not fight back since he was unable to move or speak because all he could move was his eyes. Couldn't make any noises. Suddenly, Donald heard a noise from the hallway. He quickly stopped and threw the trash bag away to avoid getting caught. So he's he's 
stopping yeah. the murder. Nathaniel wasn't able to tell anyone what had happened to him since he had no way of communicating effectively. So he just had to lay in what bed knowing that like this guy is probably going to come back and do this again. Intent on killing him, Donald tried again a few hours later. The result was the same. Midway through the attempt, someone interrupted. Donald went home for the day and Nathaniel went to sleep or probably didn't sleep right. because he was likely terrified that Donald was going to come back and finish the job. Well, right, because nobody told him that he was going home for the day. And nobody like nobody's like, oh, hey, the orderly went home for the day. Right. Like the guy had no clue whether he w- the guy was coming back. He had no. I mean, he probably knew he was coming back. He knew that he no, worked there. Yeah, but he didn't know that the guy, like, he was thinking he's coming back in the next five seconds for the rest of the night. Yeah. He had no idea Donald went home for the night. Yeah. And That's I what I mean, I'm saying. He just knows at some point he's dying soon. Like, yeah. this guy is coming back yeah, and he's trying come, to kill him And there's him nothing soon. I can do about it. Yeah. The terror that he must have felt, I cannot even imagine. And it makes it just gives me so skin much crawl. anxiety yes yeah, it's yeah, like it's, making me tense up just thinking yeah. about it i don't i'm not thinking about it I'm trying really hard to not think about that the next day donald arrived with a plan in mind he put a trash can in front of the door so that he would be alerted if someone was coming into the room and he also brought a pillow with him hoping it would help speed up the attack unfortunately this time he was successful six days later 64 year old leon nelson would suffer the same fate He was a father and deacon at his church. He had gone into a coma after doctors removed a cyst from his brain. His wife said that she was at choir practice when Leon was murdered and she felt in her soul that something was wrong before doctors even contacted her. The next patient killed by Donald is a bit confusing. Donald claims that Virgil Weddy was one of his favorite patients as they had connected over their love of Kentucky. Donald claims that Virgil expressed a desire to die because he was in so much pain. This is just Donald saying this, though, so it. who knows if this is yeah, true. Yeah, who knows? So Donald says that he felt he needed to help Virgil end his suffering. After he got off work, Donald went to the store to buy rat poison, assuming it contained arsenic. He was wrong about that. The rat poison actually contained warfarin, which is a blood thinner. So Donald put the rat poison in Virgil's pudding and gave it to him. Unknowingly, Virgil yeah. didn't know. Virgil only got through half of his pudding before he died of a heart attack. Only a day or two later, Donald used rat poison to kill another man named Lawrence Burnson. Deciding to try out a different poison, Donald put cyanide in patient Doris Nally's apple juice. Doris had visitors stop in soon after. They remarked how sick she looked, so they felt they should let her rest and recuperate. A nurse found her dead later in the day. Mm. And now... I'm going to kind of quickly go through a lot of victims that he killed. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Later that same month, Donald began to poison Willie Johnson with arsenic. Despite multiple doses, Willie did not die. So Donald upped the dose for his next victim, Edward Schreibesis, poisoning his soup with arsenic. Nine days later, he poisoned Robert Crockett by putting cyanide in his IV. A little over a week later, he killed Donald Barney by feeding him cyanide via his feeding tube and injecting cyanide into his butt. Despite Donald recently receiving a good performance evaluation from his nursing supervisor, some of his coworkers started to suspect him. They decided to talk to their nursing supervisor about it. 
Her reaction was horrifying. She told them that they could lose their jobs if they continued to talk about him and told them to just stop. Threatened with losing their livelihood, they didn't press the issue further. So after the after this woman blows them off, blows these people off and says like, hey, you don't have to shut up. Like, you're wrong. Don't say that. This is like horrible stuff to say about this person. How many more people did this guy kill? And like, how long did it take for them to get killed, to, for him to get caught? So they bring their suspicions to their supervisor um, in late July of 1986. Okay. And from late July 1986 till March 7th of 1987 when John Powell's murdered. He kills 16 more people. 16 people? Yes. So I'm going to go yeah, through. Yeah, say their names. Yeah, I'm going to go through yeah. and read their names so that every victim is recognized. Yeah, that's important. James T. Wood, Ernst C. Frey, Milton Cantor, Roger Evans, Claiborne Kendrick, Albert Bushman, William Collins, Henry Cody, Mose Thompson, Otis Day, Cleo Fish, Leo Parker, Margaret Cuckrow, Stella Lemon, Joseph M. Pike, Hilda Lights, and then John Powell. Wow. Yes. That's not even a full year. I know. It's so this is like every two weeks, every month, like this dude's just killing people at work. After the nurses are like, hey, we think this guy, there's something wrong here. Yeah. Because... For people to come to the boss and say, hey, there's something wrong here. When you work at a place where people die all the time. Anyway. Yeah. Like something has to be. There's a lot of people that are dead before. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's really upsetting that she didn't take them seriously and threatened, you know, that they could lose their jobs if they brought it up again. Because, I mean, he kills 16 more people and. Yeah. Not that long of a period of time, and like still, she's yeah. And I, it, that's and it really sucks that she has to live with that decision too. Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah, and like those people that that came to her have to live with the fact that they did that, and then it, they were right. Yeah, and then that woman has to live with the fact that she blew them off. Yeah, and like the people that they live with are affected by that. And their families are affected by that. And all the people that they know are affected by the fact that those people know her or know them that knew him and how the ripple effect of all of the victims. And it's, it's just ripples out exponentially. Yeah. You know, across. Yeah. Violence you know. really does. The effects of violence really do ripple out far. It's not just violence, though. It's anytime like you're rude to somebody, you know, it can it can yeah create mood changes in that person to be rude to someone else who's rude to someone else who's rude to other people, and it just ripples out. Every every decision we make has can have a chain reaction. It's that butterfly and stuff, man. That's why I try my best to choose to make decisions that are going to positively impact other people oh me too i'm horrible at it I, I do poorly all the time but i also try to be mindful and do a good job as best as i can yeah yeah finally after the murder of john powell donald was arrested and charged with murder 
Donald was appointed William Whelan as his public defender. Initially, Whelan did try to file a not guilty by reason of insanity plea. This plan was foiled when the clinical psychologist on the case determined Donald was not insane and he knew right from wrong. Sure. This guy knew what he was doing the whole time. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. (laughs) Calculated. Public interest in the case was obviously growing and the Cincinnati TV station WCPO-TV ran the story. This prompted a nurse from Drake to anonymously reach out to the news station. The nurse told them that she believed Donald was responsible for the deaths of more patients because at this point he's just been charged with one, the murder right. of John Powell. Right. She gave them a list of 13 people she believed to be victims of Donald. Reports from coworkers came flooding in after the first tip. When really there's at least 16. Yeah, and that 16 was just after they all came to their well, Yeah, this is just superior. At, so there's oh, more. Right. Yeah, there's more previous to that that were at Drake. Yeah. Right. And then so there's probably double that. The journalist from the station was able to get a hold of Donald's work schedule and the date and time of patient deaths. There was a clear pattern. The journalist then reached out to Donald's attorney, William, for comment. He refused, but it pushed him to actually ask Donald the question, did you murder any other patients? When he asked Donald, Donald responded truthfully. He told him that he had. William realized that he needed to formulate a plan to keep his client from getting the death penalty. He thought that if he gave the journalist Donald's confession, it would likely force the police's hand. With so much attention on the case, police would feel the need to investigate quickly. In order to do that, they would need a list of victims to exhume and investigate, and the only person who had that list was Donald. So William thought they might be open to a plea deal in which the death penalty is off the table in exchange for a confession. William was correct. Prosecutors offered Donald three life sentences for his confession. So that's what he was sentenced to, was three life sentences. On March 30th, 2017, Donald died as a result of a brutal beating that took place two days earlier. A fellow inmate named James Elliott is the one responsible for his death. James was in prison for burglary and assault charges. He said that he killed Donald for two reasons. The first was to bring attention to the inmates being unhappy with their food. And Mm. the second was that he felt it was a way he could give back to the families he robbed and stole from because he likely knew of some distant relatives of one of his victims. So... It's kind of shaky because he says he likely knew of some distant relatives of one of his victims. But then I I believe his mom said he didn't know any of the victims. James was sentenced to a consecutive term of life in prison with the possibility of parole after 25 years served. Since he had 24 years left on his sentence at the time of the hearing, he won't be able to apply for parole until he is 94 years old. So again, just the ripple effects of violence... You know, like James killed Donald because A, he was upset with, you know, the conditions in the prison and B, I guess he felt like he was somehow giving back to his community by killing Donald because he he came from the same area, you know, as yeah, I mean, at least that's what he says. where Donald lived. Um, but you know, it just you know, it's uh definitely unfortunate it's a sad story it is a sad story and you know donald also maybe now he understands what it feels like to have your life taken before you're ready to go you know have your life purposely taken by another person before you're ready to go 
that doesn't make it okay. I'm just saying no, maybe, yeah, maybe yeah. now he understands how that feels. Yeah, maybe. Um, but yeah, vigilante justice is never okay because it doesn't help anything. And in fact, it just hurts the people in your life who now don't get to hang out with you and, and love you and right. experience you know, life with you because you're locked away in prison. Right. Just not worth it. And the life that you experience while you're locked away in prison doesn't sound fun. I know some people that have been, I know some people that are there and it just doesn't sound like a good time. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Prison life is fascinating, you know, that it's like its own culture, culture, its own economy. It has its own everything, but Oh, I, I just hope, God, I never experience it for myself. Me too. And I hope that I can um, help others exiting from it or prevent them from entering it. Me too. Me too. So I wanted to tell you a little bit about the book. Yeah. The memoir written by John Powell's daughter. Her name is Holly Bryan's Ragusa. And the name of the book is Met the End. In the book, she kind of just talks about her life with her father and her family and how his murder affected them, Yeah, which I think is, you know, incredibly important for us to, if we're going to talk about these terrible events, it's important for us to learn about both sides, you know, not just the killer, but also the victims and the victims' families. And yes, most important. Mm -hmm. So I'll leave a link in the description to her book if you want to buy it. Um, You can, I believe. Does she have it on Amazon or is there an independent seller that has it maybe? She does. It's on Amazon. Um, I believe it's probably sold by independent sellers as well. And I'm not sure if you can get it as like an ebook. But I will look that up. And if you can get it as an ebook, I'll also post a link to that. But the link that I'm going to post is to her book on Amazon. Okay. So I hope that some of you guys get the chance to pick it up and read it. And I will leave it at that. So we will talk to you soon. Yeah, let us know what you think about the book. Let us know what you think about our episodes. And please, if you have suggestions about content, let us know. We'd be happy to have some feedback and maybe choose a story that you want us to do. That could be fun, right, Gabs? Yes, I was going to say I'm going to make a new Gmail account because our current Gmail account was for the old name of our podcast. Oh, yeah. So I'm going to make a new Gmail account so that you guys can send us emails about, you know, cases that you might want us yeah, to cover, yeah, yeah. pieces of art that you might want us to cover. Yep. Um, Social media is coming to. soon. Social media is coming soon. We're going to start. We do have an Instagram. We don't use it often, but we are going to start using it more. We're going to make a TikTok. And when I change the Gmail, I will put the correct Gmail in the description of this episode. And I think that that is all there is to talk about for today. So thank you all so, so much. I love you all so much and I appreciate you all so much. And I'll talk to you soon. Okay. See bye. you next time. I love you. Bye. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.